Well, good morning, Jubilee. I'm just so looking forward to speaking to you this morning uh, and taking us to the next part of our series in James. And in the next part of the series, James takes us back to a time when the nation of Israel was in a very dark place. Never before had that favoured nation sunk so low following the death of Solomon. No less than seven kings reigned over the nation and all of them, without exception, were wicked men, each one worse than the one before. And the seventh was King Ahab, who we are told did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. That's in 1 Kings 16.30. He even considered his predecessor's sins as trivial, it says. Then he married a pagan woman and led the whole nation into idolatry and the worship of Baal, which could best be described as the worship of the male sex organ. And he set up an altar for Baal, and he built a temple for him in Samaria, along with an Asherah pole, in homage of the fertility goddess of the Canaanites, which together combined to enslave the nation in the worship of sex and all things perverted. And the account in 1 Kings tells us that Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. And then God said, that's enough. Enough. And he sent the prophet Elijah onto the scene with no introduction, no record of his lineage or history, except the town he was sent from. And he comes before the king and he says, that's enough. No more rain, not until I say so. And this was a serious threat. Already there was famine. And if now there was to be no rain, then all hope for that nation was gone. They were heading into some really difficult times. So think about Elijah, James tells the scattered Jerusalem church. Take a look at his example in your own suffering, because I want you to do what Elijah did when his nation was in trouble, he prayed earnestly and with such confidence and assurance that even the sky paid attention and it didn't rain until he said it could. And church, I want us to do the same thing today and think about Elijah because we too are in a time of national and international crisis and we too need to pray and we must pray because as James tells us in this passage, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So what I want to do is read James first, and then we'll come on to Elijah. So I'm reading from James chapter 5, uh, verses 13 to 18. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up, and if he sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, 
and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. So can you see the main point of what James is saying? The message is very simple. Whatever's going on in our lives, we need to pray. And so he says, if you're in trouble, you've got to pray. If you're happy, well, you need to praise, which is just another way of saying praise. Pray, sorry. If you're seriously ill, then get your elders to pray. If you slip, fall and short, messed up, then you must confess your sin and get your friends to pray. If the nation is trouble is in trouble, if what you're seeing is just wrong, if the darkness is getting darker, if the world is in a mess, then something, church, needs to rise up inside of you and say, that's enough, and pray. Church, pray. Not just any prayers, but nation-changing prayers like Elijah prayed. <clears throat> okay, that's Rob's paraphrasing of the passage but the main point is this the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective even to change leaders and nations to cancel out and reverse environmental disasters even droughts even a famine if we learn how to pray like Elijah prayed so let's look at Elijah now as James asked us to do and see what we can learn from him and how he prayed and we start in <clears throat> In 1 Kings chapter 17, with uh, Elijah's encounter with Ahab, his first encounter with King Ahab, in verse 1 there it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Galead, Gilead sorry, says to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I mean, that's a pretty audacious prophetic word, isn't it? It's not going to rain except at my word. But here's the first thing that James wants us to know, that despite all the heroics of Elijah's life, and at this point, 1 Kings is only just getting started, uh, Elijah was a human just like we are. Now, this might seem obvious to you, but that's because we've read James before. But to his readers, the humanness of Elijah was in question. So some Jewish rabbis, for instance, taught that Elijah wasn't human at all, but that he was an angel. I mean, he was a man who came out of nowhere, was around for a time, did some incredible miracles, only to be taken back to heaven in a chariot of fire, because that's how this quite remarkable story goes on. And so you can quite understand why they may, may have thought that he was an angel. But then if he was, that would be very hard for us to compare ourselves to. I mean, how can you compete with an angel? And so James argues strongly against this and states very clearly, Elijah was human. So that quite legitimately, we can look to him as an example, an inspiration of what is possible in prayer. And actually, James takes it even further than that. He says not only was he was a human, but he was a human just like us meaning that what was possible for Elijah is also possible for us. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go on with the story. But even with what we've seen, it kind of begs the question, doesn't it? What limits are we placing on our prayers? What restrictions do we place on God for what is possible or not when we pray? I mean, how much bigger would our prayers be if we really knew the power that they had? My church, we've got to pray like that, haven't we? We've got to pray with that kind of confidence. 
And of course, Elijah started with a prayer that we can all relate to here in the UK, especially at the summertime. It, it starts, James says, he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. Anyone? Anyone ever pray? You see, we can really relate. He was human just like us. But Elijah prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years, according to James. Although it appears that there is a slight anomaly here, because from the time Elijah appears in front of Ahab to the moment it starts to rain was actually three years, according to 1 Kings 18, verse 1. So did James get it wrong? No, what it means is that at the time Elijah appears before Ahab, there had already been six months of drought. And so for Ahab to be told now that there would now be no more rain for the next few years would have hit him pretty hard. Now, from what we know, it wasn't that abnormal for there to be a dry season of several months in Israel, although it would never be completely dry, because it says that there would be these heavy dews, that's dews with a D, <laughs> that would fall at night and refresh the crops. Elijah tells Ahab that there would be neither dew nor rain, meaning that all the crops would die, leading to famine. And for an agricultural community, that would have spelt disaster but it would have also communicated a very clear and powerful message to the people, which is why God withholds the rain. Because when God withholds the rain, who can create it? Elijah might as well have quoted Jeremiah who said, do any of the worthless idols of the nations bring rain? Do the skies themselves send down the showers? No, it is you, Lord our God. Therefore our hope is in you, for you are the one who does all of this, Jeremiah 14, verse 22. So Elijah was challenging the existence of their God and his ability to do anything for them, and yet the people had chosen this dead idol instead of the living God that Elijah served. They were worshipping a worthless idol that had no power and would only bring destruction to them. Now, for me, it's always interesting when God touches our idols. So the things that used to work for us don't work anymore. You know, those things that we tend to rely on, those predictable patterns of certainty which help us to mark time and give us that sense of security and control. I mean, when they're taken away, it really tests where our priorities lie. Now, Israel were going to lose their rainy season for several years, which would completely destroy their promised land flowing with milk and honey and turn it into a desert because already things were dying. But this all came about, James says, because Elijah prayed earnestly. And you know, I don't think Elijah had only just started praying, you know, kind of, I've delivered this prophecy and said all these things of God, you better not let me down. I think he'd been praying for that previous six months before he even got to speak to Ahab. There had been these six months of intercession, crying out to God for the nation and his people. Six months of saying, God, enough. It's not right. Do something. Save this nation. Stop the rot. Father, bring this nation to its knees. Help them to see how futile and worthless their idols really are. 
Lord, don't let it rain until you have their attention. Do you know, I wonder if you can see any parallels in what's going on right now all across the world. The normal patterns and seasons have been disrupted. The whole world has been brought to a standstill and life as we know it has come to an end for the foreseeable future. And to me, it's like the heavens are withholding the rain. And I found myself wondering, is anyone listening? Has anyone noticed what is happening? Has this crisis gotten your attention, world? Or are you just waiting for things to get back to normal? You know, for as long as I can remember, people have been praying for revival, for a move of God that will change the world, for an outpouring of repentance that drives whole nations to its knees. And I wondered, is this it? Is this what we've been praying for, but we just didn't know it? Well, we know that this is what Elijah had been praying for, and the heavens withheld their rain. And so, church, we need to pray that the world hears and sees. We need to pray also for the church because I, I think God really wants our attention right now. And we need to pray everywhere that, that people get the message. I think that's what the three years was all about. And then we come to 1 Kings 18. I'm calling this Elijah's great pray-off. I'm not going to read it all to you because it's very long, but it ends with this great competition where Elijah challenges the king and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 440 prophets of Asherah to a pray-off to see whose God is the most real. He says, look, you build an altar and I will build another. You go first and pray and then it's my turn. And the idea was the God who answers by fire, well, he's the real God. So it says that Elijah went before the people and said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said, okay, fair enough. And Elijah sets up these two altars made of wood and stone and then laid across the altar is a sacrificial bull, a, a sin offering, by the way, because whether they know it or not, Elijah is calling the whole nation to repent and come back to God. And so Elijah turns to these 850 pagan prophets and says, you go first, you pray and see if your God answers with fire after you. And they pray, but nothing happens. And so Elijah goes through this whole routine of taunting them and saying things like, pray louder. Perhaps he's busy or something. So they pray louder. They cut themselves. And they continue their frantic prophesying. I love that phrase, don't you? They're frantic prophesying all day. But there's no response, it says, and no one answered and no one paid attention because, well, he wasn't real. He wasn't real at all. So Elijah says, now it's my turn, but come on, let's up it a bit. Let's make it a bit harder. He adds some more stones. He digs a ditch around the altar. He pours gallons of precious water over the top of the altar, which by this time is in such short supply. And he pours it all over again and again until it fills the ditch until at just the right moment when he has all their attention 
the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. And he says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me. Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of God fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, it says they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah wins. His God wins. And so he celebrates by killing all of the pagan prophets and the whole nation repents before the Lord. Wow. I mean, just wow. And don't you love the fact that it's Elijah that James wants us to look at as an example of prayer? And he was a human being just like us, remember? And yet look what happened when he prayed. And this is the kind of significance James wants us to give to our prayers. Are you getting this? Think about James. That's how I want you to pray, he said. Think about Elijah, sorry. So Elijah has won the argument. The drought has to end. Now here comes the outpouring. Later on in chapter 18, starting at verse 41, there's this section called the sound of the abundance of rain. It says here that Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there's the sound of the abundance of rain, a heavy rain. So Elijah went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down on the ground, put his face between his knees, and he starts to pray. He says, go and look towards the sea, he says to his servant. So he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time, the servant reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose and a heavy rainstorm came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. I am so tempted to try and unpack this and speak into it, but I just want to let the passage speak for itself. James tells us that not only does the rain return, but the earth again produced its crops. The drought and famine ended because Elijah prayed and the people responded. Church, can you see why we have to pray? Can you see why we have to pray for our nation, pray for our leaders, pray for our families and our friends and our work colleagues, pray that they see, pray that they hear, pray for an outpouring like we have never seen before. I just want to close with some prophetic thoughts about this story and these passages 
especially as it's the last talk, my last talk before the summer break. Because, you know, over the last few months, I've just kept coming back to this story of Elijah and his national context. And I've really been provoked by his faith uh, and James's conviction about our own prayers having such significance. So I wanted to pass that on to you, that encouragement. But I've also wondered how this story relates to the season that we're in now. And so I just want to finish with these thoughts for you to take away and to fuel your thoughts and prayers over the summer. Because when we get back in September, I want us to, to pray. I want us to learn how to pray together about some of these things. So here are my thoughts, and they're quite brief. And I just want you to just take them on board and, and just pray into them. And the first thing is about the state of our nation, the idolatry, the perversion, the greed. And, do you know, I really feel that it's time for us to say enough, to join with heaven and say enough, God, and plead with God to act. We need to see a move of God that brings the conviction of sin and brings future generations into a dynamic relationship with God. I want them to exceed us. I want them to go beyond us. I want them to see something like we've never seen before, to change a nation. And second, it's about the revival we've all been praying for. You know, I, I know we've prayed for revival. We've prayed for this move of God that will sweep the earth, some of us, for years and years. A lot more than Elijah's six months. We've cried out to God and said, please do what you have done before, Father. Come in power. But here's the thing that's dawning on me. Before the outpouring was the famine and the drought. And I think this is the season we're in now, the time of the famine and drought. And remember what that was about. It was God's way of getting his people's attention. Well, the whole people, actually, but particularly his people. So has he got your attention? Has he got your attention, people of God? Because, you know, revival always starts with the people of God, starts with the church. And, you know, I know it's so easy right now to disengage, to literally switch off church at the moment. You can just turn the switch. But let me plead with you not to do that. Because church, God is calling us to pray. He's calling us to get our attention at this crucial time in our world's history. And the next thing is about the prophetic voice of the church. I believe it's the time for the church to speak up and to speak out and to allow its prophetic voice to be heard. It's a day of confrontation, if you like, with the prophets of Baal and then the fire will fall. I believe that we're going to see some powerless idols of materialism and so on fall at this time so that the true God of this universe makes himself known. There's so much I could say about that, but muse on that. What could this be about? What could this confrontation be about? And next, I think, is about a great outpouring. I just keep coming back to that, the sound of the abundance of rain. I truly believe that this is all leading to a worldwide outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the like of which we have never seen before. 
that many will be saved and even nations change. But for now, church, we must pray. We must pray. But not any old prayer, because this is the final thing I want to draw to your attention. It's about the prayer of faith. That's the phrase that James uses right in the middle of the passage. Just go back to Elijah. He stood before King Ahab and he said some things. He says, I come from the living God. (laughs) He says, I come from his presence. That's literally what it means when he says that I come as his servant. I come from his presence, which is why they thought he was speaking like an angel because Gabriel himself could have used the same sort of words. But his prayers were founded on this unshakable foundation that God is real, that God is alive and he's powerful. And this is the prayer of faith that James is talking about. It's also described in Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says in that passage that without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, powerful prayer is grounded on the conviction of God's existence and imminence. Elijah was a human being just like us, but when he prayed, he changed the world and shaped a nation. What about us? What's your level of faith at the moment? Where are you as to the existence even of God? Where are you in your faith, your walk with God at this time? It starts with us, people of God. It starts with us. Right now, the world needs the powerful and effective prayers of righteous people. Don't underestimate the importance of your prayers, because now is the time to pray and change the world. I'm, I'm going to finish there, but I want to just pray for you. And I know that this is a, a message, a prophetic message. I believe it's a prophetic message for us uh, as a church, but also beyond that. I think this is an important message for us. And I, let's just open our hearts and, and, and receive from God right now. Father, I want to ask you for a fresh conviction about prayer. Father, I want to ask you to reveal yourself to us more imminently in a more real way than we've ever known before. I want to pray for your tangible presence to rest on us right now, right in our homes, right where we're sitting. Father, I want to pray that you would deal with our hearts. Father, we repent for our unbelief. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that the world had all the answers, the doctors are the ones that are going to solve this, or whatever it is, Lord, and we pray for those people. But, Father, we look to you. Lord, you are the author and the finisher of everything. So, Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts over this summer, that you wouldn't let us go. I pray, Lord, that you'd visit us in our sleep, that you'd visit us in our conversations, that you'd visit us in our daytimes, in our rest times. Father, will you visit us in this season? Lord, start with us. Start with the church. Search our hearts. Deal with our own sinfulness. Deal with those areas, Lord, that that we're living in that we shouldn't be living in right now. Come, Lord, let the conviction of your Holy Spirit come upon us. Lord, the revival starts with us. 
We offer ourselves to you. Use us, Lord. And, and Father, let your prophetic voice be heard through the church at this time. In Jesus' name, let the fire fall. And we ask you for that great outpouring, that worldwide outpouring of your grace, your favor, your love. Baptize the world in your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen.